Grace to you and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I would ask for a show of hands, but who would raise their hands for a question about humility or pride or arrogance? Who would raise their hands, say, yeah, that's me, I'm arrogant? Or say, yeah, that's me, I'm super humble? No, it just doesn't quite work that way, though, does it? We wouldn't show a raise of hands for being arrogant. It's not a quality that we think is good. It's not a great quality to have. And if we're honest, when we wake up in the morning, rarely do we think, boy, I'm arrogant. We just don't think like that. We don't wake up in the morning thinking that we're a jerk or that we're mean and cruel. No, we like to wake up in the morning thinking that, that we're going to do good today. That we're going to be the good that we want to see in the world. We want to believe that that's who we are. That that's what we're going to do. I'll be honest, if, if I'm looking back at my own past, at, at my own time on this earth, I'd like to believe that I can say that I've, I've shown a lot of humility, but there have certainly been times... There have been times where, where something hit me just right or somebody said just the right thing and I reflected upon myself. I reflected upon the things that I had said, the things that I had done, only to realize that there were moments in time where I was arrogant. I didn't want to be. I didn't try to be. But I was. And I can reflect upon those times. And hopefully, hopefully, in those moments, I can actually become a better person. My guess is, though, I'm not the only one. My guess is, as we, as we, if we went throughout the congregation, if we went back through memory lane, and we started looking about all those instances, those examples and times in our lives... My guess is, is that there are some times, even in your lives, where something hit you just right. Some word was said, some thing that happened, happened, and all of a sudden you were confronted with that very idea that maybe you weren't as humble as you thought you were. Maybe you didn't show quite as much humility as you had hoped to show, but instead, arrogance was shown. Arrogance was seen. Arrogance was portrayed. And so, of course, as good Christians, what do we do in such an instance? What do we do with such things as, well, we turn to Scripture. We look at Scripture for texts dealing with arrogance and humility, and we find them. They're everywhere. All over Holy Scripture, we are told what it means to be humble. The texts are pretty consistent. Don't be arrogant. But what does that mean? And what does that mean for us? And that seems to be the question that permeates today's text. Jesus is at dinner with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with people that were in control of the temple. 
And we know, we know what kind of people they were. We talk about the Pharisees quite often here. We, they're all over the New Testament. We know that all too often they were the arrogant ones. They held the seat of Moses. They held the keys to the temple, you might say. Which kind of leads us down yet another rabbit hole. Well, if Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what does that have to do with us? If he's talking to the temple authorities, how does that apply to our lives in the here and now? Why do we even have this text? And why did we read it this morning? Certainly there's some discussion about arrogance, pride, self-righteousness. Obviously it has something to say about all of those things. But what does it say to us? I mean, it talks about table etiquette. That's where Jesus goes. It starts with a healing on the Sabbath, and he ends the text with a, a discussion on table etiquette. Not table etiquette for the here and now, but table etiquette for the ancient world, where you took various seats depending on where you came from and who you were on the list. Were you the top on the list? Were you the bottom on the list? Where do you sit? Table etiquette. Now again, we might think that there are some younger members of our society that could deal with a good lesson of table etiquette. And if I'm really honest, I've been that person a time or two in my life. But how does that apply to us? And even more, if we were to keep reading on in this text, we would find that it doesn't just end with those that are invited to the feast, but in fact, even to those that are inviting others to the feast. And so we are left again with this question about the text. What does this text have to do with us? And certainly with our question about humility. What does it have to do with any of that? What we are reading is something that theologians call the great reversal. It's not the first time we run across the great reversal. It's simply one of many. Where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And when he talks about the kingdom of God, a great reversal takes place. A great reversal in how we think and how we view and how we look at the kingdom of God. Again, this is not the first time that Jesus is bringing up the kingdom of God and we're forced to, to kind of reconcile it with our world. But that's what this text is about. Jesus directing our attention to the very kingdom of God and we're seeing a great reversal. The things that we think should be a certain way are flipped on their head. And instead of being like that, they are like something completely different. If you think you are great and honorable at the feast, take the lowest position. Take the lowest position. And again, if we were to keep reading, when you invite people to a party, don't invite a bunch of people that can repay you. Invite others that can't. Invite others that have no means. In the end, where Jesus ultimately goes is truly the greatest reversal of all. The greatest reversal of all human history. The greatest reversal that is for us. 
where we can set our eyes upon a man who suffers and dies on a cross and call it good. And call it even beyond good. Truly the greatest good of all time that Jesus suffers and dies. Anybody else looking at a man suffering on a cross would say that's no good. That's not a good thing. And yet we as Christians know that truly it is the greatest good. For in that good, our Lord and our Savior took our place, paid the price for our sins, and granted us eternal life. And you see, that is the heart and soul of humility. It's hard to be arrogant and admit that you couldn't do it, that you can't do it, that there's no way you can accomplish this task. It's hard to be arrogant and admit that you're the low man on the totem pole, that you're the one who needs the most help, that you're a sinner who needs redeeming. And even if we could try to venture our way into forcing ourselves to be humble, how many of us could truly succeed? No, we would, we would end up being prideful about how great and humble we are. And that doesn't work. But no, it is a gift of God that we are given humility. We are given humility by seeing where we stand and by seeing who our God is. You see, that's what defines humility. Not by how great we are at being humble, but how great our God is. You see, if our God is simply a mirror image of ourself, then we're not very humble at all. If our God just becomes a means for doing whatever we want, whenever we want, well, that's not humility. But if our God calls on us to ask, differently than the world around us. If our God causes us to look upon a man who suffered and died for us, if our God calls on us to see what He has done for us through Jesus Christ and know that we don't deserve it, but yet He did it for us anyway out of love, not because we are so great, but because we were in that much need. That, that is humility. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.